This weekend, I had a quick runaround trip. I went up to Kansas City yesterday for an NYR meeting so, uh, with the board. And, uh, and so they were, they were asking me, uh, they're like, oh, sh- uh, what, what's going on down there? I said, well, the, we're going to maybe do a little something with the girls on Monday and Tuesday. And, and they're like, well, don't they have school? And I said, well, we have, we have Mardi Gras. They're like, we've heard about that, but what's that have to do with school? <laughs> I said, well, in South Louisiana, it is a major holiday, all right? And I'll be honest with you, you guys know I've lived here 19 years. I, I don't know that I'm Cajun, but uh, I, I've been here a long time. I will tell you, honestly, this is one of those holidays that I don't understand. And, and I, I used to think it was just because I didn't know enough about it, so I found out more about it, and then I understand even less. So correct me if I'm wrong, but I think how this is supposed to work is that, that starting Wednesday, we've got to be good for an extended period of time, Right? Is that right? Six weeks. So we're going to be really bad so we can be good. Is that, is that it? Am I wrong? Am I being harsh? Yeah, probably so, huh? I think that's the holiday, though, guys, when you just bleach it down to its bones. And the crazy thing about that is, to a Yankee who didn't grow up in here, you know, and the crazy thing about that is, is what well, doesn't quite make sense to me. Jesus didn't redeem us for a season He didn't transform us for a period. He didn't say, I want you just to be some better. He said, I want you to be literally different kinds of people, fundamentally transformed, completely renewed. This morning, we're going to start a short little sermon series. It might be a little bit longer, but we're going to go through the next few weeks before we start talking about Jesus walk to the cross, and talk a little bit about how it was that Jesus got there. Because you know, when you you talk to that story about people, people almost, we almost put Jesus up on this pedestal where he belongs. Don't take me wrong, but give me a moment to explain. We we think to ourselves, well, that was Jesus. Yeah, Jesus, what, 12 years old, was focused in and on point, but that was Jesus. Jesus, when he was 30 years old, went out and loved people, and he forgave people, and he, he healed people, and he, he, he worked and used the skills that the Father had given him to make the world a better place. Yeah, I get that, but, but it was Jesus. We, we almost think that, that Jesus was somehow supernatural version that didn't struggle and didn't fight and didn't agonize about the same kinds of things we do. And, and, and so we think to ourselves, well, I'm going to cut myself some slack because I'm not Jesus. All right? Now, I know you probably haven't said that, but I'll bet you've thought that before. Someone comes up and says something to you like, well, you need to forgive this person because Jesus said you should. And in the back of your mind, you're thinking, but I'm not Jesus. Or, or, or they, they say, well, you need to be laser focused on these things because Jesus was focused on these things. But in the back of our mind, we're saying, I'm not Jesus. There's a passage of scripture kind of planted in the middle of Luke's gospel. 
If you know anything about the gospel writers, you know that there's four different gospels. They're each one written with a little bit of different attack and a little bit different angle. Matthew and Mark come from one angle. Luke is this historian, and he writes a very historically kind of accurate account of Jesus' ministry. And if you didn't know this, Luke kind of flows right into the book of Acts. It's kind of like first and second Luke, the orderly account of Jesus' ministry, and then a book of Acts is an orderly account of the church. And so so in, in the middle of Luke's gospel, in Luke the ninth chapter, there's this little passage that when we read it by itself, we might, just, we might just kind of skip over it, but in reality, it is probably one of the most compelling passages in that section of Scripture. L- let me just read it to you this morning. It says in Luke 9, and, and in the middle of this section here, there's really a lot of text that we could look over, but we don't have time. It says, when the days drew near for him to be received up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Luke, as an historian here, is saying there was a shift in gears in what Jesus was doing at this period of time. Now, if you know anything else that happens in, Mark, in Luke, the ninth chapter, if you've never read it, well, you can read it right now if you want to, but, or read it this afternoon, how about? Um, read through this. You realize that, that this is kind of a, a tumultuous period of time for Jesus and the disciples. Because as Jesus and the disciples are beginning to make this trip to Jerusalem, there's two very different thought processes that are going on right here. The disciples have visions of greatness that's dancing in their heads. When Jesus said, come follow me, and they recognized Jesus as a Messiah, they had this idea that Jesus was going to be an earthly king, an earthly ruler. He was going to overthrow the world order. He was going to restore everything, and, and, and they would be on his, on his right hand and on his left. They would be his leads and governors and commanders in this revolution that he was about to explode into the world. And then, and then Jesus... And you can see that, verse 46, I think, is probably the most uh, important verse in that because there's an argument that breaks out between these guys. You can imagine this right here, of which one of them is the greatest. Well, I think Jesus likes me a little bit more. Hey, 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 you, Peter, are not going to be, I tell you what, I am going to be the one on his right hand. Can you imagine this? These are guys that are walking with Jesus Christ, and they're trying to figure out who is greater than the other one in the group because they're all about right here. But you and I know that when Jesus focuses his mind, when Jesus sets his face towards Jerusalem, for Jesus, it's something very different. A few chapters on in Luke 13, Jesus says, uh, I must go on my way today or tomorrow, for it is said that a prophet shall not perish away from Jerusalem. See, Jesus recognized that his going to Jerusalem was not going to end in a victory celebration. This was not going to be a party. This was not going to be an overthrow of everything that had happened up to that point. In this world, that overthrow, that victory, that celebration was going to come at a great cost. Jerusalem went one thing for Jesus, and that was certain death. And he wasn't under any predisposition that it was going to be some kind of a heroic death. Jesus knew exactly the kind of death that he was going to die for us and for those that were there at that time. Luke 18 and verse 31, Jesus says this. He said, behold, we're going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written of the Son of Man and the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered to the Gentiles. He will be mocked and shamefully treated. He will be spit upon. They will scourge him, and they will kill him. The question I have for you this morning is simply this. When they got to Jerusalem, who was successful? When they finally arrived there, 
Whose plan was it that actually worked out? Because the disciples are thinking, man, we're going to Jerusalem, and this is going to be amazing. And even the night before Jesus is to be betrayed, even after they see Jesus in a place of very, very serious nature, they still think, I'll die with you, Jesus. I mean, they knew it was not going to go well, but Peter's like, hey, I'm on your team. I'm on Team Jesus. It's on my jersey. You don't have to worry about me. And Peter would be one of the most flagrant deniers of Jesus maybe outside of Judas. What was it that was different about Jesus than the other guys? What was different about how Jesus approached Jerusalem than how did the disciples approach Jerusalem? And I think there's one big, big difference. Jesus' mind was set and the apostles wasn't. Jesus was focused, the apostles were distracted. When Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem, he set his face to succeed spiritually. And why would we talk this morning about our, our minds? Why would we talk about the things that are going on in our heads right now? It's because, guys, the things that we're focused on, where our mindset is this morning, determines much of the outcome of our lives. None of us ever just fell off into a sinful situation. Our mind went there first. None of us failed just out of the clear blue. No, our mind, there was something wrong with our mindset beforehand. And when we talk about our minds, sometimes we, we sometimes glaze over. But because I think a lot of times we get this idea that we're somehow victims of our biology, that the things that are going on in our head is just. What's going on in our head? Guys, that could be nothing could be farther from the truth. We are not victims of our biology. God leads, but we must choose to follow his leading. When the Bible talks about our, our mind, it's talking about our heart. It's talking about this consciousness, this thing that, that makes us who we are. And some of you might be asking this morning, well, Jason, what's the difference between my mind and my brain, and that's a really good question. We're gonna we're gonna just take a quick sidetrack this morning because I don't think you can talk about the mind without at least talking about a little bit about the brain. Because culturally today, we kind of think of them being somewhat the same. Traditionally, scientists have tried to define the mind as the product of brain activity, you know, and so um, and so we could go into it, but um, and it's it's hard to to describe the concept of thought and the concept of of what our mind is. It's surprisingly slippery, in fact. But the mind is the seat of our consciousness. It's the essence of who we are. Uh, you may have had a family member, as I have, who who slowly succumbed to a, a disease that took their mind, we would say, right? And while their, their brain function was maybe still what, somewhat there, the person that we knew and loved no longer was there. But when you look into the brain, remarkably, you see evidence of that. I think a long time ago, about 100 years ago, we, we became convinced that we were not created by a loving God not placed into a garden and, and, and formed there by loving hands. There wasn't the breath of life that was breathed into our lungs, but we were told culturally that we were a product of random evolution, that, that we were a product of, of, of forces outside of our understanding that somehow converged in the distant past, and millions and millions of years ago, there was a great explosion, and from that explosion, matter was formed, and that matter has continued to evolve and continued to evolve to a higher and higher plane of, of, of sophistication and 
until voila, here we are today. And so with that mindset, we say, well, we must just be a product of whatever our minds say we are. Guys, I don't think we realize sometimes how much evolutionary science has slowly kind of creeped in to the way we view ourselves. You ever heard people say that? Well, I can't help it. That's just the way I am. You ever heard someone say that before? Right? We, we, we often say those kinds of things. The truth is, guys, is that today brain science is catching up. And brain science is figuring something out. They're figuring out that, in fact, your mind is in control of your body. And guess what your brain is a part of? Your body. And people who do certain things, their brains do certain things. They can, they can scan your head. They can watch as certain kinds of activity are formed inside of your mind. They, 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 people who are studying well into their older years, you can look at a brain scan and say, that's a person that's thinking still in their 80s and 90s. Why? Because it's evident there. Guys, we are not a product of our evolution. God has given us a choice. We get to choose. The question for all of us in this room this morning is, what are we going to choose? The science of our world today is just catching up with what the Bible has said for millennia, and that is that we have an opportunity to become better, or we have an opportunity to allow life to make us worse. We have an opportunity to grow intellectually and as people, or we have an opportunity to allow ourselves to slide off the edge of the cliff. The Apostle Paul put it this way. He said, even though I'm wasting away, outwardly I'm wasting away, yet inwardly I am being renewed day by day. I am becoming a better person. Every day, every moment, every decision that I'm trying to make is trying to make me a better person. And some would argue that Paul did the best of his work, not in the former early years of his life, but in the latter years of his life. Much of his writing, we believe, that we, that we cherish today and use and preach and teach, much of that writing came later in his lifetime. So we're going to talk a little bit this morning about things that we focus on. Jesus set his focus, put his face towards Jerusalem. We're going to look at three things today, and we're going to build on this in the next couple weeks that are going to help us to become spiritually successful. And these are not random concepts. These are actually literally biblical concepts that will change the way that we think about the world. God called us to do that. The first one is that we're going to set our focus to guard, to guard our minds. Proverbs, the fourth chapter, is this beautiful proverb there, and I think most of us know it. Um, the writer of Proverbs, Solomon, is writing to younger people, and he says, above all else, above everything else that I've told you, and I will tell you in this book, guard your heart. Now, let me just stop for a moment here and, and, and tell you that when the Bible talks about our mind or our consciousness, it sometimes uses the word heart, it sometimes uses the word mind. In Hebrew, those are kind of synonymous concepts in many cases, when we're talking about the heart, obviously we're not talking about the blood pump right here, but we're talking about that thing that we make decisions with, that consciousness, that essence of who we are. And, and, and Solomon says, above everything else in your life, guard that. Because everything you do flows from it. I wanna, I wanna read that text for you really quickly this morning, just again, just so that we're thinking about this. Above all else, guard your heart or your mind. 
Because everything you do flows from it. May I submit to you today that there are not any random activities that most of us do. Someone makes you angry and you respond in some certain way. That's not, that didn't just come out of nowhere. You've been working on that behind the scenes. A temptation pops up on your computer screen and you choose to follow that. That didn't come out of nowhere. There's a heart problem. There's a mind problem. You're struggling with a relationship in your life. There's probably one or many mind problems that have kind of come ahead of that. Solomon said, guard your heart because everything you do comes from that. And I think there's four things that are really important for us to recognize about our hearts. Number one, guys, recognize this. Your heart is a treasure. Innocence is a treasure. A soft heart is a beautiful thing. Jesus declared that we should love the Lord our God. Remember when he was asked, he said, what are the greatest commandments? And he said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. He's talking there about your complete essence. And then he says, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. The first part of that is, is really, really huge. When he, when he said, what's the greatest thing that I can do with my life? What is that ultimate, that ultimate commandment? Jesus said, here it is. Love God with everything that you have. Guys, we have been given a beautiful treasure. Your mind is a beautiful thing. What are you doing with that? What are we, what are we filling that with? What are we using it, what are we using it for? Our heart is maybe the truest expression of who we really are. And for some of us, sometimes when we look at what comes out of our life, when we, when we the Bible also says, I didn't throw this scripture up there, but out of, the, out of the abundance of the heart, the what? The mouth speaks. And sometimes I say the dumbest things. Sometimes I th- say things and I think, why did I say that? Well, the truth is, is because I'm thinking it. Let's just be honest, Right? I have not yet had something come out of my mouth that I didn't think before. Now, I didn't think about a lot of things that, I, that came out of my mouth, believe me. But, but there's thought processes back there. When I say a certain thing, guys, there's probably some truth to that. And we all know that. That's why when someone says something to us, and then they come back a little bit later and say, oh, I didn't mean it. How many of us buy that? No, we don't buy it, right? Because we know, we know that maybe they didn't mean it like that. But there's some truth there somewhere. Guys, we need to be guarding our heart. It is a beautiful, beautiful treasure. And the second thing I think that we need to recognize is we need to make it a priority. We, we sometimes think, well, uh, you know, if I, can, if I can fit some stuff in to feed my soul, if, if, I, if I have some time in the day to, to, maybe, to maybe study the word or, or to open my heart to God in prayer, maybe I'll, I'll try to fit that in somewhere around the edges. And I, I want to I challenge you today, don't fit it around the edges. Make it the central theme of your life. It's a precious thing. Make it a priority. Let's not let life try to bend around us or, or around our spiritual needs, but let's make that happened the other way around. When our heart is strong, we're able to resist the temptations that cause a lot of people to grow weak and to stumble. We talked about this a few weeks ago, and I'm not going to go into it in detail, but one of the stories that is just burned into my consciousness is studying, through studying the scriptures, the story of David. David is this beautiful 
beautiful example of what it means to be a God follower. In fact, so beautiful of an example that God says about him, he's a man after my own heart. He is literally patterning his life after the pattern that I would have mankind live after. He's doing the things that I would do. He thinks the way I think. And when you see David interact with Saul, sometimes it's just not, it's hard for me to understand. I'm more of a vindictive person, excuse me. Saul's out chasing him around. He's living in caves. He's, 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 he's scrambling for his life. And then he gets an opportunity to deal with Saul. And what's he do? Well, he cuts the corner of his robe off. Or he goes and steals a water jug and a spear. And then he gets a ways away. And the Bible says that his heart is stricken. His conscience is broken. And he's like, I, I shouldn't have done that. And I'm thinking, Saul just got off really, really lucky. And David's like, man, I've got to confess. So he goes out to the man who's trying to kill him and says, hey, hey, Saul, I I took your water jug and spear. Sorry. You were in that cave. I snuck up and cut off a corner of your your robe. Sorry. And Saul was blown away by it. Saul would be convicted. Saul would go back and say, oh, man, I'm sorry, David, my son, you're not trying to kill me. And a little while later, the evil came back out in him. And you look at that story and you think, well, there's a beautiful example of what we're talking about this morning, Jason. David, whose heart is focused on godly principles, and Saul, who has allowed the darkness to consume him, whose thoughts, in fact, the very text of Scripture says his thoughts became dark. He began to focus on things and fill his mind with things that were poisoning him. He was listening to people that were not pointing him towards God, but were pointing him other directions. But when David is old... David's strength in his own mind and heart will break down. David will commit murder to cover up his own sin. And you wonder, how does that happen? But somewhere in between those years of wondering and that night on the rooftop, David had not made his heart condition a priority. He had not made what was going on in his mind a priority. He wasn't watching anymore. He didn't realize that what he had as a young man was a beautiful treasure, and he kind of just let it go. Third thing is to minimize a lot of the trash that's in our life, and we're going to talk about this in a couple weeks. This is not something you've not heard me say before, but church, I think we've just got to be really serious about this. There are a lot of influences that are influencing all of us that are poisoning our minds. They're poisoning the minds of us as adults. They're poisoning the minds of our children. And it's having a devastating effect. We need to pay attention to that. Just the very fact that that a lot of young people that I visited with, I I just visited with somebody a a couple weeks ago that wasn't from here, but we were visiting about a situation in their life, and they told me, look, I can't do anything about it. Well, you're making the choice to do it. Yeah, but that's just who I am. And I realized that part of the fuel for this sermon came from that. I'm thinking to myself, how can they not recognize what I recognize, that they're choosing to do self-destructive behavior? But the thing is, guys, that they believe the myth of the culture, that you're just born with your brain that you got. You, you You can't force yourself to think better. You can't be better than who you were born to be. You just kind of got to settle. And and everything in Scripture says that's absolute garbage. That's absolute trash. But a lot of our young people are believing that. 
Guys, listen to me. If you're a younger person in here this morning, I want you to know something. God has given you amazing power. He has empowered you to overcome whatever it is that life throws at you. If you are a Christian here today, if you've been washed in the waters of baptism, you've been given the spirit of a living God, church. We're not weak, cowardly, broken people anymore. God said, I want you to live strong. So why are we so content to just be broken? When we could live in the throne room of a king, why are we hanging out in the dumpster? The questions that I wonder, and maybe I think all of us do, right? Why are we content to not embrace the opportunity that we've been given? Some trash that's really easy to identify, you know it because it, well, it's just, it stinks. Moral corruption, lots of sin, perverted behavior evil acts that harm other people. We all can like point a finger and say, yep, that's, that's trash. But you know, guys, for some of us that have walked with the Lord longer, there's, there's trash in our lives too that sometimes it's harder to detect. Trash like a lack of faith. We come to a crossroads where we really have to trust God on something and we find ourselves trying to fix it ourselves. Guys, that's, that's not what it means to follow God. Or, or unwillingness to forgive somebody. I always throw that in the list because that's one I struggle with. Maybe you do too. Someone does something and there's this constant battle to really offer forgiveness to that person. We think, well, I have a right to hold on to that. Materialism, uh, pride, and false belief systems of all different kinds. There's a ton of those little things. They're just as devastating sometimes as the big things, just not as obvious. Fourth thing I think that we can do to really to really protect our mind is this. And that is to energize our minds with truth. So here's a little nerd science for you. I, I spent way too much of my week, the last few weeks, kind of researching the mind. And, and this is truly fascinating. If you're interested in, in kind of understanding the connection between your actual physical brain and how you think, there's some amazing research that's been done. You don't hear a lot about it because it causes a lot of problems for the scientific community. Because it kind of kind of goes in to say, you know what? We are not physical beings first. We're spiritual beings first. Now, it's not hard for us to understand because that's what the Bible says, right? Right, that God formed us out of the dust of the ground and he breathed into us the breath of life. But culturally, we've said we're physical beings first and then somehow we evolved a spiritual nature. And the science, the real hard science today is saying, I don't think that's true. One of, the, one of the things that I think is so cool is, is the brain, your brain, my brain, we, we love truth mentally. We like to know what's really going on. We're constantly looking for information. And, and you can do a brain scan on somebody, and you feed them a bunch of lies that they know are lies, and you can watch their brain just start to go dark. They're like, ah, oh, it's a lie, <laughs> whatever, shut off. But you start, you start telling somebody truth, Maybe truth that they like, maybe truth that they don't like. Guess what happens in your brain? It comes alive. Because our brains like to know what's really going on. Deep down inside, our mind says, I don't want to just be doped into thinking that everything's hunky-dory. Let's know what's really going on here. Let's know where the real struggle is. Let's do something big. Your brain, my brain, they, they're created by God to, to do something in life. Guys, and, and the Bible gives us such awesome opportunities to do amazing things with our minds. So what do we feed our minds? It's a good question. Jesus set his focus to Jerusalem, 
And we're called to set our focus on something important as well. <coughs> Excuse me. We all know the importance of nutrition, and I'm not going to give you a nutritional speech this morning. If you want to talk to somebody about nutrition, I am not the good person to talk to. I, I do look at the nutritional facts at McDonald's, and it troubles me. Um, but I still eat there, all right? Now, others of you are far more disciplined and far more responsible, and you're like, I will not put that trash into my body, and kudos to you. That's very good. I need to learn from you. But this morning, I just want to quickly, as we close, I want to talk about what is it that we feed our mind. If you want to have a healthy mind, what are you going to what are you going to feed it? There's a group of people, and, and I don't want to take a whole lot of time this morning, but it's called the Oxford Analytica. It's a group of people that get together every morning, 6 o'clock in the morning, and they look around the world, and they say, what, is, what do people need to know? What do people need to be concerned about today? What are, the, what are the challenges that world leaders that are making a change in this world, what is it that they need to know? And these guys put together a list, and they send it out, and people pay great big money for that every single day. So what is it that is truly valuable for us to know. Paul tells us in Philippians, the fourth chapter. You know these texts, but let me just read it to you. And we're going to break this down in a couple weeks as we go through this. He said, finally, brothers, whatever is true, we talked about that a moment ago, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there, are any, if there, if there is any excellence or anything that's worthy of praise, think about these things. If you don't get anything out of this sermon this morning, get this, please. <clears throat> you have a choice as to what you allow to fill your mind. I'm good. I think I'll make it. We, the coffee might be good because you guys will get out early, right? <clears throat> um, but you guys have a choice. You guys have a choice with what you're going to fill your mind. And Paul said, here's a list of things that God recommends that you fill your mind with. Your mind was created to thrive on these things, truth honorable things, just. It means it's just, it's the right things, good things in life, pure things. You know, I, I sit down sometimes and I watch TV, and, and, and you guys all, we all do, right? And, and what's on TV half the, 90% of the time? Trash, Trash right? All right? So we're sitting there, and we're just sitting there, and we're watching, you know, I'm just kind of like mindlessly trying to check out on the world. But without really noticing it, guys, I, I, I'm not doing what this verse really says. I'm not thinking about things that are pure sometimes or things that are lovely or things that are commendable. The other people would say, that's good. I'm not looking at those things. If there's anything excellent, worthy of praise, think about these things. So I have a homework assignment for you this week as we wrap up. I want you to grab a piece of paper, the back of a receipt. Probably need to be bigger than that. All right, um, but, uh, but uh, maybe, maybe a journal if you're a journaling kind of person, all right? I want to be a journaling person, I'm just not, all right? So maybe you're like me. <clears throat> but I want you to grab a piece of paper or notebook. I want you to keep track of something this week if you can do this. It's going to take a little work, but I think you guys are up to it. I want you to think back every evening as you sit down, and I want you to read this passage of Scripture. In fact, I would love to challenge you to memorize it. It's not hard. A lot of you probably have it memorized. Philippians 4.8. And when you read through that verse, you can read it through the Bible, write it on the top of your notebook, whatever you want to do. I want you to list out the things in today that fall into that category. And then maybe scratch a line through that page and write some major things that consumed your thoughts today that don't fall into that category. I want you to just do a little bit of an influence inventory. 
What are the things that I'm feeding my mind every day? Because, guys, truthfully, some negativity is just an absolute necessity. You might be going to work, and somebody makes a wrong turn. Boom! They hit the front fender of your car. Probably nothing praiseworthy or excellent about that, right? But you're going to have to deal with it in a given day. But some of that, some of that is voluntary. And guess what? You get to choose. You don't have to pick it up. You can be informed and know what's going on in the world and not completely covered in negativity. That's your choice. We choose how we're going to look at that. As we close this morning, I want to challenge you in one more way. Set your focus to recognize that you are loved. Some of us maybe this morning that are in the room have had a rough month, a rough year, a rough week. Some of us are struggling through things that no one else knows about, but we're struggling with them. Maybe it's relationship issues within the home. Maybe it's a child that's breaking our heart. Maybe it's financial or health issues that are just behind the scenes. And I don't care who you are. I don't care how long you've walked with the Lord. I don't care how much you know in your mind. When some of those things show up in your life, they're devastating. They're just by nature a great challenge. And guess what? You get to choose how you're going to respond to those things. My grandfather was dying of Parkinson's disease about 25 years ago. My granddad was the kind of guy that, that loved to learn and loved to grow and loved to better himself. And then somewhere in the middle of his late 70s, he all of a sudden began to physically kind of fail. He just wasn't the person that he, that he used to be. He had trouble walking up the stairs. He had trouble putting sentences together after a while. And eventually that disease, as it will, if you've ever seen Parkinson's, it breaks your heart because it just kind of robs that individual of so much of their ability to control their body, which, which forces that person to become more and more an inward person. Then it begins to take speech and ability to talk. And man, that's hard, and especially when my granddad and I like to visit and talk. He would write me letters. and I didn't get any letters anymore. We would talk on the phone, and I couldn't understand him. I remember I was in Centerville, Iowa, at the nursing home, one of the last times I saw my grandpa alive. Went into his room, and he's laying there, all curled up in a, in a fetal position because this disease had literally just taken from him every, every bit of physical control that he had. And I wake him, I say, hey, Grandpa. And he like, kind of looks through one of his eyes. He gets himself around, and I kind of rolled him up to where he could, he could talk. Or look at me and I talk with him for a while. <laughs> Craziest thing happened. His arm just goes up. <laughs> I'll never forget this as long as I live because this is my grandpa. He looked over at his arm, his own arm that he was no longer in control of. And he said, It does that sometimes, it'll get tired and come down eventually. And then there was that little smile that turned up in the corners of his mouth, a little wink in his eye. <laughs> I knew my grandpa was in there. See, my grandpa went through that disease, and it was hard. But he always knew something. I watched my mom and my, my dad both die of pretty rough diseases. 
They knew something. If you're here this morning and you don't know this and you're not living like this, life's going to break you, I'll guarantee you. But you are loved. There's a father in heaven that sent his son to die for you, not so that you could continue to be the broken person that you were when you came. God wants everyone to come just as you are, but he doesn't want you to stay that way. He wants you to be transformed. He wants you to be changed by the renewing of your mind. He wants you to become a different person in how you look at your world. He wants you to become a different person in how you look at yourself. And guys, when you're renewed by God, when you know that you're loved by God, when the power of God has transformed your life, I don't care what happens in this world, it cannot be taken from you. Neither height, nor depth, nor anything in all of creation can separate us from the love of God. Do you guys believe that, church? Shall we live like that? What if we went out this week and just said, you know what, I'm loved. And yeah, I'm struggling right here, but God loves me. And I'm going to make this world a better place. I'm going to change how I think about things. How would things be different? You know what I do? Things don't go right. And I'm <laughs> poor Jason. Well, guess what? I'm going to be down in the dumps. But guys, God gave me the choice to say poor Jason. And I get that. And there's times in life where all of us are going to break. I just about started crying on you a moment ago right there. All right? There's going to be times where all of us break. But guys, we don't have to stay there. We are loved by the creator of the universe. And he's called us to step out of that darkness and step into light. Next few weeks, we're going to take a look a little bit at how do we do that? How do we kind of reorder our life? How do we renew our minds? I mean, it's not really as hard as we might think. In fact, all that information has been in this book for a very, very long time. So I hope you join us again, guys. We're going to stand together and we're going to sing this morning. If you have a need in your life, if you're going through something right now, there's a group of people in this church that have been through just about everything. And there's someone we can, we can set you up with that can sit down with you and say, hey, let's talk about this. Let's go through this. Man, maybe for some of us that are here today, guys, we, we just need somebody to put our shoulder, arm around our shoulder and say, hey, you've got this. You're loved. Let's keep moving. Maybe, maybe there's some of us here today that need to make a decision for Jesus. And, and maybe you want to talk with somebody afterwards. You know, Bruce and Jody... There's guys scattered around this room this morning. Boo's back there, and uh, Brody's in the side wing. Charles is back there somewhere. Um, you, you could find somebody. Look around. There's probably someone right in your area that you can just sit down with and say, hey, let's talk about this.